Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Scott. Welcome to another Fuds on Film podcast. I'm joined today by Drew. They told us our gods would outlive us. They lied. And we are, as hinted, well, that's talking about a recent release of Zack Snyder's revision to Justice League, and I suppose the Snyderverse in, in a kind of more general sense. Now, if we're going to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, we have to address why the 2017 theatrical release was deemed not Zack Snyder's, as that's largely why we've gotten ourselves here, and is, is, is in a way, is much more interesting than the actual artefact itself. However, that does mean recovering a lot of old ground, so this is as condensed a version as I think passes muster. Um, after a family tragedy saw Snyder step away from the production of the Justice League film, Warner Brothers hired noted asshole Joss Whedon to complete the film and also reshoot and rescript swathes of it in a total Warner Brothers DC move. The result was widely panned, not just for coming across like a totally discordant cut-and-shot, but that was the criticism seized on by fans of Snyder's work, with the resulting often ill-tempered campaign to get Snyder back on board to fix the film unexpectedly succeeding, with more reshoots and graphics work authorised for this four-hour slab of media released on home streaming service HBO. Which, on a number of levels, is a hell of a thing and perhaps unprecedented. Um, fan demand has, for example, resurrected cancelled series for another crack at the whip, like Whedon's own Firefly. Uh, but a fan campaign to get another director to recut someone else's completed work, and of course there's asterisks to that statement, uh, at what must be great expense, particularly when it's clear that said studio have already lost confidence in said director's vision and seem to have no plans to, for instance, complete the trilogy that this was envisaged as... What a bizarre situation. <laughs> but before we speak on said situation and the perennial what are these guys playing at question, we should pass some sort of judgment on Justice League, although on a lot of levels, the self-selection of its audience renders critical opinion somewhat moot. The broad strokes of the plot are, of course, largely the same. Introduce super team, introduce weird alien cubes that would allow these still awful Steppenwolf to destroy Earth, resurrect Superman, defeat said Barry. And if the only criticism was that the, th- the theatrical release was a tonal mismatch, then for sure this does a better job on that level, providing Snyder's more serious take on things uh, while retaining a few moments of levity. On most other levels, though, there's enough of a give and take that it's nowhere near a clear-cut case of declaring this better and moving on. Primarily, the thing to understand that this is not a plug-in replacement for the film. This often meandering four-hour beast is chopped into a number of parts, seemingly not as any kind of semblance of act structure, but just to provide easy reference points for pausing while you go off and have lunch, or resume watching the day after. Uh, watching in one sitting does not seem to be the consumption instruction, and is not recommended. Uh, doing so really exposes the length, uh, particularly for the many scenes that, for the vital purposes of this film, do not need to be there. They are, however, there as fan service, and this version is here entirely as fan service. So, in most regards, it's a film that knows its audience and knows that the audience will know the film. So, if you want a recommendation for someone on the fence about Justice League, that that recommendation is very much not to watch this, as there's nothing in here to appeal to the undecided or to change the mind of naysayers. Now, for my take, uh, most of the new footage in here I broadly like, although, as mentioned, the pacing issues this brings up is a definite downside. Some of the tweaks work on some level. You know, Steppenwolf's interactions with the bigger bad dark side at least makes his motivations clearer, although he and his army of parademons are still a 
big bundle of better but still barely adequate CG that I cannot bring myself to hear about. Uh, speaking of CG, I don't recall Cyborg looking so much like a Snapchat filter as he does in this version, but there we go. Uh, that's maybe just my memory failing. Um, the ending sequence tweaks make this, again, a better, but just another huge ball of CG that I'm past unpicking at this point. Uh, there's other smaller changes that bring small improvements or sometimes just small differences, but perhaps we'll get into that as I open this up to the floor. Uh, but in large part, what I think of this is redundant. This will find its audience purely by dint of that audience having willed it into existence, and I don't think it's interesting in talking to anyone outside of that audience. Drew, I, th- I think you got on with this even less well than I did, so what was your take on this uh, reboot first thing? First of all, just to your point about the, the fan service and the... There is no other word than capitulation to fans. Mm. That's never a good thing. That's never worked out well for anybody. That sort of behaviour has brought us snakes on a plane. And the rise of Skywalker. Need I say more? It is baffling how much money Warner Brothers have decided to spend on this. The the cost of production, etc. for this must be pushing half a billion dollars by now, surely. Yes, surely. Because the original um, production budget plus $70, $80 million worth of reshoots for Joss Whedon and then Zack Snyder was given about the same to redo special effects and do a couple of pickups for this one. Yeah. That's mind-boggling. Yes, absolutely crazy. <laughs> and if you want to know whether I think it's worth it, the the overriding thing in my mind for the entirety of the four and a half years it took me to watch Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League was how is this worse? How how can this be worse and it's worse? I hate it. I hate it so much. Like, Justice League is terrible. I, I rewatched the theatrical cut of Justice League again last month, the month before and it's really boring. It's I have all the same issues I had with it before. It's so clearly a cut and shut and I watched this and it's worse. I mean, there's more of it. So that's the thing. Yeah. Um, primarily with Zack Snyder films, more of it is not normally a good thing. He did a few extended editions of his previous films like um, Batman vs Superman, and I don't think it was better for having more of it. <laughs> if anything, less of it would be a bit improvement. Um, and that's a film I actually like. <laughs> but still, there's a, there's a whole bunch of Snyder stuff that, that really needs to be edited down a bit more. And I, I understand why it's in this version. I mean, I, all the bits in all these films, this one, uh, Batman vs Superman, uh, where they're kind of hinting at the um, what would have been the third film, the whole um, Nightfall, I think it is, scenario where Superman's the villain and all that kind of stuff, and it's all filmed in a desert, apparently. Um, none of that really belongs in any of these films, um, but I understand why they put so much of it into this film, because it is fan service. This is this is fans' reward for shouting a lot. And, you know, I can't really criticise it for that, because it's sort of the point of this exercise, but, yeah, for a casual viewer... Doesn't really make any sense for us to be in here. No, the the whole thing's masturbatory. It's so self indulgent. There is no yeah. reason for this to be four hours long. There is no reason for it to be in four three. Uh, oh, I didn't even mention that, but yes, that is the most ridiculous thing. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen various things suggesting it's because it was all shot with IMAX in mind. You know, so you can watch IMAX on your television or your iPad or um, whatever <laughs> else is you're watching this yeah. streaming thing on. That's never going to be near an IMAX. <laughs> apart from maybe the occasional special um, screening once the yeah. pandemic's over. 
So it's really weird. And the biggest one, I have no problem with things being 4-3 if it actually helps to serve a vision. But here it doesn't because it's an action film and it feels claustrophobic. Mm. It, it's like horribly well. cropped. Um, and it's like it, it serves no purpose at all. Yeah, like a number of Snyder's decisions. There's, there's kind of two categories of head scratchers with Snyder. Like, there's the stuff that is... I can kind of see where they were coming from. That it's been candidly executed. Like the obvious one would be again, it's Batman versus Superman. But the, the whole kind of realization that um, you know that Superman is as much of a human as Batman is, and I can kind of see why they, they would try and connect that in some way with them both having been raised by the strong mother figures. But why that reduced to having someone just saying Martha and changing the course of the fight is just absolutely bizarre. <laughs> and it, I cannot fathom how that came about. But I can at least see where the intention was. The four three decision is just completely baffling to me. That makes no sense whatsoever. I cannot fathom anything behind the intention or that, or what it was in what what, what the effect even was supposed to be. It's just a really poor, weird decision, which is kind of pretty much at this point what you'd say about most of the DC extended universe stuff. Um, yeah, just, it's- just just something. A lot of things have happened and no one's really got any clear idea of why or what the plan was for any of it happening. It's just stuff at this point and it really needed someone to come in and shake it down and uh, yeah, that does not seem to be Snyder going forward, which is probably a good thing. It's so conceited. And again, th- there can be reasons to pick particular uh, aspect ratios. Sometimes yeah, if you're trying to evoke an era, uh, the, the good German, for instance, mm-hmm. made sense. It was an academy ratio. Was first cow not an academy ratio? I believe it was, yeah. I can say it's maybe trying to evoke an ear or something. It's trying to be more like a, say, a 35mm still frame, a photograph mm. frame. There can be reasons. Then, of course, you get films that, even if the reason is good, which I don't believe it is, but the content's so terrible that it's it couldn't save any really, you know, like Ghost Story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> unless it was really crucial that the, the framing of the six and a half minute long pie eating scene was in um, four <laughs> three the rounded corners yeah, uh, yeah but here it's like no it's, it just seems really conceited to me because it's it's visually worse because of it yeah because it's an action movie yeah you're seeing less and the cropping's horrible um, and I mean I really struggle to believe that it was meant to be like it. It doesn't feel like it was IMAX streaming. It feels like it was shot open matte, and it's like mm-hmm. to keep it. It feels more like that than than it being IMAX because there's just so many scenes with a couple meters of space above the characters' heads. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're just either lost in the frame, or when it's should be a much wider shot with action happening. It's like when well, you it's cropped out so much, and you're just stuck in this tiny little box in the middle, which is why I mentioned the claustrophobia. I think it feels like that. Yeah. It just feels so confined and not cinematic. It's bewildering, but I mean, the whole film is just the. I mean, the circumstances behind why it didn't come out the way it did, that's really sad. And Zack Snyder has nothing but my greatest sympathy. But I, I don't think it was it being messed about with by the studio lost us any great artwork, no. as this film has proven. I mean, the fact, I mean, let's set aside the, the rather odious nature of Joss Whedon and the continuing revelations about his less than stellar personality. Mm. 
the fact that it was Joss Whedon wasn't the problem. Well, the fact that Joss Whedon was chosen by Warner Brothers, it was why he was chosen, not who was chosen. Yeah. Because, as we've mentioned before, the executives at Warner Brothers couldn't find their arse with both hands. They have no idea what they're doing. When we talked about Justice League back in 2017, I think both of us, Scott, observed and said it before too, it's like, they, they just rushed because they saw what Marvel had and wanted it. Mm. Um, and then with this film in particular, the Joss Whedon Justice League, it's like, well, we want Marvel tone. And if you, the whole Snyderverse thing is necessarily darker. Um, and that's okay. I don't mind that so much. But it's, um, but they kind of tried to retrofit that on and it was never going to work. And let alone that the writing wasn't brilliant. There's a lot of reasons to criticise Whedon's work. and uh, The things that he did change, for the most part, were he changed for the worse. Because uh, you can see I mean, the, the, the very obvious difference in colour grading. For its, for its flaws, this does look much better. Like, you can see some scenes, I was doing a little bit of a kind of side-by-side even of something that did not really change much in terms of the way that it's, that it's done, like the, um, the Wonder Woman sort of scene in the bank, I think it is, where she's kind of been being introduced at the start. It's just so differently graded. It does look a whole hell of a lot better in Zack Snyder's version, and the audio cues are better. They've worked her theme into the music and all that stuff. There, there are stuff that's done there that's just done plainly. I would say it's just actually just better. Snyder's got a better grasp of that. Things like his, in particular, for why it didn't work in the Justice League film, is all his costume design was based on it being a darker color palette, and it looked stupid in the Justice League film, and it looks a, much better here. It's only had cartoony look but but i think the this joss whedon justice league is too saturated but i think this and this microsoft basically the entire film and everything in it has gone too far the other way it's like do you remember light and color light and color are things i've definitely seen light and color before but not there's no evidence of this film at all mm. it's miserable it's not a pleasant place to spend four hours <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's very much the the Snyderverse, though. Um, if you're not used to it by this point, then <laughs> uh, no, you're uh, never going to be. But yeah, in terms of the Snyderverse too, and like again, the, the big problem with Justice League was that it was a cut and shot. It was just the the bits didn't go together. Yeah, um, and a lot of the jokes fell flat. But at least in the Joss Whedon one, there was some suggestion that these people were human beings, right? <laughs> that there was any sort of humour at all. Whereas, and then there were some bits in the Justice League that I genuinely really liked that, again, it gave kind of some flavour to the characters. Like, look at uh, the scene when they're they're heading off to, not Chernobyl, in Justice League, and Aquaman starts saying about how he feels and stuff, and it turns out he's sitting on that, the lasso of... Hepzibah, or whatever it's called, Hassan mm. Hestia, um, Wonder Woman's. That's just a minor moment. And I thought that really worked. And it's like, and Jason Momoa can do that kind of, that kind of funny role. See, in this film, the Zack Snyder one, he's miserable and he has nothing to do. And everybody in this film is miserable. The whole thing is so po-faced. It's so serious. And it's, it's a film about silly spacemen and something called a mother cube or mother mm. box the whole thing is stupid and it <laughs> takes itself so seriously and it's terrible 
Yeah, I actually think I don't mind the tone. Um, I think there's a, there's still enough levity in here that it didn't bother me that much. Uh, I just didn't get the same vibe as you did there. Um, I yes, it is more serious certainly than obviously the comparison is with the Marvel stuff and that's where Whedon was trying to push it more towards of course and clearly that's where Warner Brothers want it to be uh, given the kind of rest of the output that they've they've had recently um, and I, again I don't mind that but I, I just as long as it's consistent and I think this does a better job of being consistent and yes it is silly but if you're going to try and take this slightly seriously, which um, clearly Snyder does, then the characters kind of do need to be serious because, you know, it's a world-ending catastrophe. So it's probably about the right time to be serious about it. Um, World-ending catastrophes are always incredibly dull, so that doesn't help. But but no, because the the big problem I have is these people aren't human. There's no humanity to these people. There's no characters to these characters. And I didn't see any levity in this film at all, apart from the bits that the only levity I saw that they were trying for was the Flash, who I don't like. I don't like Ezra Miller. I didn't like him in the other version. I don't like him in this. I think he's terrible. And that's the only person, any character who has any sense of levity at all. But there's nothing in this film that there's just. It's so dour. It's so serious. But like, and if you're going for like taking a fairly serious tone, I get that. But make your characters human. I mean, you don't have to have the kind of the very flippant um, type of thing that, that is typical to say of a Joss Whedon. But these people are just miserable. And I don't care about miserable people. Yeah, I wouldn't say I got that a lot. I mean, uh, the, the parts of it, I think, um, you know, like Batman clearly, uh, Affleck's bringing a very dry sense of humour to it, but I thought that was there throughout it. I thought there was lots of nice little moments of humanity. I mean, actually, what I think I took away most from this film is that I would like to see a film that is basically just two hours of Jeremy Irons describing how to make tea to people. I think we should have that instead. Um, oh, I hated that scene. I hated it. It's <laughs> awful. Obviously, we're taking very different things away from the, the tone of it. I, I did not mind that so much. Um, um, I am... But, yeah. I am not exaggerating, Scott, when I tell you that I don't believe I found a single thing in this film that I enjoyed. Mm. And obviously, I would want to enjoy it because who enjoys being um, miserable for the (laughs) the literal day it took me to get through this? I just, I found not a single thing in this film that I enjoyed at all. I just, everything about it, I just thought was worse. Like, we've got the 2017 Justice League has the world's worst villain, the world's least interesting villain, and not just the, the terrible CGI. So this film's got two of them. Um, so indistinguishable, I found them, that I generally took till halfway through the film to realise the card you saw at the beginning of the film was Darkseid and not uh, Steppenwolf without a hat. Mm. They looked the same to me. I, I thought that was who that was. I mean, um, you're just not paying attention there. I mean, <laughs> they look very different. I'm sorry. I, know, I can't let that one slide. They, they um. look exactly the same with a different hat. Um, and apart from uh, Steppenwolf now has really weird eyes. It's kind of like a dog or something. Uh, but also, yeah. it, it didn't help that the the effects on Steppenwolf are obviously better now. They're not good, they're better. But it was basically that weirdly moving armour was giving me triplophobia. <laughs> um, I assume from your laughter, you know what that is. But um, yeah. remember when the the new Mac Pro came out and people were saying they were getting that because of the holes cutting it. Yeah. Uh, I was getting that same thing from his weird insecty armour. Ugh. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I just thought the whole thing was a mess. It's so self-indulgent. It's 
it was so miserable. Um, and like, and all the problems I had with the story in the first one are still there in this one. Nothing's better. I mean, you're right in as much as it's certainly not really changing a, a whole lot. It's adding a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't need to be there. It's yes, certainly self-indulgent. It. Um, it's certainly more of it. There's certainly all of that is self-indulgent. But then again, again, that's why this exists. I mean, I there is no real utility. And you know, there's a scene towards the end where. Martian Manhunter shows up to introduce himself as Martian Manhunter. I'll see you later. Like, obviously we're not going to see him later, so there's no point for that scene to be there, apart from the fact that someone out there really will love Martian Manhunter and go, yay, Martian Manhunter's in a film. Now, there is no other universe where that would not be cut because it clearly serves no purpose apart from fan service. It doesn't drive anything forward and it never will, but it has to be here because of what this this thing is it's not I, I struggle with trying to call it a film because it isn't a film this is a a big chunk of four hour media it's not really determined to be a film in the same way that most other things are so a lot of the criticisms I would have were this to be shown in a cinema don't really apply to it in my opinion you're still perfectly perfectly uh, entitled to not like it for the slightest for those reasons, and certainly I did when I was watching it for four hours because um, I couldn't take my own advice and split it up. But I would say it, it does make some things better. I mean, I'd, it's still a big bunch of CG that I don't really care about all that much, but the ending sequence is much better explained and gives people actual roles to do and has some kind of proper conclusion to it. That fight is just better. I think it does look better. It does sound better. There, there are certainly axes where it is a better experience. However, that's only really landing for people who really like what Snyder's trying to do with this kind of world. And if, like, to be fair, most people, you are not a great fan of what Snyder has been trying to do and can't appreciate it on some level, you're definitely not going to get anything on this. And even, because I, I know that you've uh, appreciated some of his previous works from this uh, DC works more than more than your average bear. But if you're not liking this, then clearly there's something that is not, not landing with um, most people. And certainly uh, if you're kind of the more kind of, maybe not exactly fan, but even just kind of casual, if you're on the fence, then there isn't anything in here for you. But you probably weren't going to sit and watch a four-hour revision to a film you didn't like anyway. So I suppose on that level, again, it's just a a bit of media that knows its audience and is trying to please that audience to the exclusion of many, many people, uh, clearly yourself included. It's It's not an indefensible work, but it is clearly not a work for anyone than people who already knew they were going to like it. So, you know... Couldn't you just have imagined this? I suppose you could have done. Um. I don't know. Just, I, I, I really, I, I enjoyed nothing at all. I mean, that ending thing, it was different. It was just a different thing for me to not enjoy. It wasn't better. <laughs> it was different. Um, and I mean, like looking at this too, and it, it just proves how little of a clue anybody at Warner Brothers has about anything. It just it doubles down on that. Because, like you said, I mean, these are minor things. I mean, I generally have nothing but issues with this film. But uh, there are things to... Well, I mean, the performances are so bad. Poor Kevin Hines is appalling in this as Steppenwolf, but also he's, he's given so little to do, but he's truly awful. Yeah. Oh, and just, I wanted to mention this now because this might give you a sort of scary thought the same way it did to me. But when they kind of... 
I don't know, the Grand Vizier Darkseid or his High Priest or whatever the heck he is, mm. um, that starts appearing through the stone, whatever that is. He's played by an actor called Peter Guinness, but he sounds almost exactly like Stephen Berkoff. And I, no, no, the how can this film get worse? Can't, please tell me that's not Stephen Berkoff. It sounds solely Stephen Berkoff. That's a terrifying thought for you. But yeah, um, just the, the... It's so badly written too, but the proof that like that nobody, one of us, has a clue what they're doing. There's, there's no person... I mean, again, I mean, the obvious comparison is the Marvel films, right? But while the Marvel films had problems and they changed characters and they'd retcon some things and they made changes that went on with people's response here. Like Black Panther was more popular than they thought it was going to be. They rejigged that a bit for the end of um, Endgame and Infinity War. But it's cohesive. It's remarkably competent for how many films they had and how well they worked together. Again, not flawless, but... And that's over, what... Was it 22 films or something by the time we got to Endgame or even more? Something like that, yeah. A lot anyway, and it's, it's remarkably cohesive. And the fact that Infinity War in particular wasn't just an absolute um, cluster cuddle with the number of characters put into it. But Kevin Feige has done a tremendous job of, of directing this, of being the man overseeing it with a plan, a plan that worked. Um, as ambitious and pretentious as it seemed at the start. And all three of us, particularly Craig, but all three of us really criticised the whole idea of setting out the phase one, phase two, and like, oh, that's so... It's so indulgent, and but no, it worked. Um, we're here with like four films, and like, no, they have no idea because all the stuff that's put back in this kind of undermines things that were in Aquaman. It's like, apparently, Amber, Amber Heard's parents were dead. Who's Dolph Lundgren then in Aquaman as well? Because you didn't know what you were doing. By the time you got to that, you, know, you completely changed stuff, and it's, just, it's, just, it's more proof that they had no idea what they were doing, they were just winging it. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> can't really de- say we don't know but it's pretty clear just from an outside perspective that if perhaps it's not fair to say that there's individuals who don't know what they intend to do it's the fact that they all can't agree on what the hell they were trying to do because it's pretty obvious from the outside right they've hired snyder to give a kind of to, to be in more or less the fakey kind of role and give it some kind of direction on it but anytime they follow that plan they get halfway through it and go well actually we didn't quite want that go and reshoot all of this Mm-hmm. And go and jiggle it about because it's happened um, to, to, to lesser degrees on Snyder stuff, obviously, with Whedon, but um, happened on the Suicide Squad where they delivered something, you know, which was in the end very different to what was originally intended. And again, they just, if they have a plan, they keep changing it, which to the, to the outset, to the outside, it makes it look like they just don't have any idea what they're doing. Um, I expect someone had a very strong idea of what they wanted to do, and someone else decided to disagree with that, but only after it had been shot, which is the yeah. dumbest thing you could possibly do. A lot of a lot of ink has been spilt about how the DC films are doing less good than than the Marvel ones are, and you know you can't can't deny the numbers. But when you look at the kind of audience, it's not it's not that there's not an audience response to these films. They keep going to see these films. The problem is the budgets for these films keeps getting monkeyed around by the fact that they completely shoot a film, then decide after that, oh, well, actually, we didn't want that film, it turns out, let's change it all mm-hmm. and spend at least half the amount of budget again to do it. So none of these films have been particularly massively profitable because of that, because they can't produce a film to save their lives. Yeah, now, they don't know what they're doing. 
They just cannot get it together. Um, maybe this is something a little different going around. Now, by all accounts, this is going to be Snyder's last involvement in it. This, the kind of third film he's, that it was kind of in this year is clearly not going to happen. I don't think there's. I was reading earlier. There's apparently some. Apparently, Dwayne Johnston wants to kind of get Snyder back into it, but I think he'll probably lose that battle, even despite him being The Rock. He's not going to win that one. So, um, I'm not necessarily despondent about that. I think Snyder's got some good ideas, some awful execution on parts of it, but if the studio is not behind it, his what he wants to do, and if they keep changing things that are going on in it, then there is no point in being there. His If he can't actually execute on anything that's trying to be done here, if it keeps getting monkeyed around with, then there's no point to his existence in this universe. So it's probably best he just kind of went packs up his stuff and leaves us. If, if DC have their own ideas of what they want to do, that's fine. Just go and do it and stop trying to half-cut it with these kind of weird decisions of reshooting so much stuff, changing so much stuff, monkeying around with so much of it. Either have a clear idea at the outset and get someone who's on board with that, or find someone with a clear vision and get on board with their vision. Don't try and smash them together, particularly after you've shot the goddamn thing. It's yeah. just baffling. It's really weird. It's, it's ruined... There's certainly a small handful of these films in, he- in here, which you know, numerically not very much, but in, in terms of the actual dollar value of them, they've probably wasted what five hundred million quid by this point just on reshooting and re- <laughs> monkeying around with stuff. It's baffling to me. It's- yeah, they've no they've no clue what they're doing, and it's and again, there's so many things that just show up. That there was no nobody seemed to have sat down and said, "Right, here's a plan." Mm-hmm. They do seem to be winging it, and like then you've got executives who have apparently no faith in anything, and it's really frustrating because obviously I would prefer to have liked this, yes, um, <laughs> but I just find an exercise in frustration, and it's weird too. It's like they're just squandering so much talent, like and I think possibly the worst thing here is like I don't know, and I feel like it must be either Zack Snyder or the studio has ruined it, but this is written by Chris Terrio, who got all the awards for the screenplay for Argo, which was excellent. Mm. Man can write a film with a complicated plot and interesting characters. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that kind of... It almost gets through. I mean, I... I Jason Momoa is charismatic enough that he'll probably make anything work for me. I I, I like him a lot. Um, I like Ben Affleck. I think he's good as Batman. Unfortunately, he's just not in a good Batman film. I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. I don't even think Jared Leto was all that bad. Um, There's a scene at the end of this. (laughs) Yeah, there's a scene at the end of this where they've added a bit from the kind of the future of it, where it's given a more traditional um, Joker presentation as opposed to what was in the Suicide Squad. But again, it's just something that has not been given alongside Batman enough of a chance to actually breathe and live on its own. So I can't defend his visual appearance in the Suicide Squad. It's bafflingly awful. Um, I was baffling but, uh, awful in this as well, to be honest. I just thought it was terrible. The, the like 20, was it 20 minute epilogue at the end of this? A very wanky, self-indulgent epilogue in this. Um, I thought it was terrible. Uh, again, I don't know how self-indulgent it is. Um, Clearly, this was a part that would have been in whatever the next film would have been, but that film doesn't exist, so it's here. And there's a whole lot of this film that is basically things that we should have put in the next film, but we're not going to get around to because we can see the writing on the wall. So here you go. Now you can go off and imagine your own one. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll reboot it, I guess, with Robin Pattinson and 
maybe have another Joker going around at the same time. Why not just have three Jokers in the same universe at the same time? That makes as much sense as anything else. And we're not even touching on DC's television output, which has a whole other bunch of stuff going on with it as well. So, uh, yes, all very confusing, and none of it seems to tie up with each other, and they seem to be fine with that. So maybe that's what they go with. Let's just have every single film having a completely different continuity. It's a very different approach from what Marvel would have taken. But who's to say? It might work, or it might be that they just haven't got a clue what they're doing and just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Well, isn't that just One like or the other. Marvel's <laughs> comic book stuff, but on screen? Pretty much, yes. Um, <laughs> no, it's, I mean, uh, it's weird, but we've had such a different experience on this. Like, for instance, uh, Ben Affleck. I really quite like Ben Affleck in Batman vs Superman, a film I actually quite liked. And I thought it would be quite interesting to see him be, like, get a good chance of being Batman. In this film, Zack Snyder's just like, I thought he was terrible. I thought his performance was really flat. And uh, perhaps more than anything, his character had no business being in the film at all. But quite apart from that, he was just as jealous as everyone else. And, and I really like Jason Momoa. I don't think he's the best actor, but I think he's got a lot of charisma in this. Mm. Completely subsumed by the miserable film and the fact that his character had nothing interesting to do. But yeah, Batman in this, uh, with massive space beasties which is just so not interesting um mm. and the parademons are horrendously dull and ugly and stupid and annoying but uh yeah, yeah. batman is so out of his league in this that, that, that there's no it's ridiculous that batman's in the film at all whereas like at least in the theatrical cut it felt like he was contributing something here i don't know why he's there at all and then uh i mean just everything about I just think is a really, really badly written film, let alone um, how the visuals look. I mean, I mean, you've got things like the Amazons. It just I'm just going to go through this, all the stuff that bothered me. Um, you're comfortable for the next couple of hours, Scott? Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but you've got right at the beginning. Well, also all the way through these terrible, terrible songs that are basically tell you what the characters are thinking at any given time. Oh, that was a good very, idea. very much a Snyder weakness. Um, <laughs> he's, he's he's not got a lot of subtlety to him, that boy. No, uh, no, he hasn't. Um, but you've got but the Amazons who have apparently kept this magical space box MacGuffin um, for ages, and then Steppenwolf comes down and defeats him in about four minutes. Comprehensively defeats him in four minutes without even trying. Well. They were worth having as guardians. Then that that was useful. Thanks for that. And then oh yeah, they, they take a long time to show them um, firing the the magic arrows. Like, have you tried phone calls? Get with the times, ladies. I don't think there's an awful lot of cell coverage out in the hidden city of Atlantis, though. Yeah. Uh, to, to be fair, I don't think three have a network out there. <laughs> That's time. Thymusenia, I can never remember the exact name, but but no, I mean I'm I'm being flipping, but it kind of annoys because it just seems so daft. It's a serious matter, Drew. We need to take these films seriously because they're serious films talking about serious matters. But that's the last thing you should do, though, is take any of this stuff seriously. And that's that's my big problem with it. I mean, I'm okay with taking a slightly more serious tone, but when you consider how ridiculous the entire concept is, right? Talking of ridiculous concepts, the bit that made me snort with laughter or then swear watching this was when somebody, somebody turns up and says, I found the anti-life equation. Nope. Nope. No. Not having that. That's the stupidest um, sentence I've ever heard. Ever. In any film. The anti-life equation. Piss off. And I'm sure that's probably in the comic books, but doesn't make it any less dumb. The anti-life equation. 
Mick. So I'm trying not to just swear in van. Uh, but yeah, uh, like there's, Ken, it's just, and this is absolutely not only a, a DC or even Zack Snyder problem, it's, a, it's in the Marvel stuff too, but like, you know, decide what, if you're going to make a superhero film, decide what powers your superheroes have and stick to them. Don't just make them change um, to fit any given scene. Like, what what Wonder Woman? And this, uh, this is in the 2017 one as well. What are Wonder Woman's powers? Oh, now she's as fast as Superman and the Flash. Why? Convenient for that scene. Okay. When she's in the bank. Uh, but then she had to blow up the man. Um, okay. Terrible writing again. Mm. Uh, then just, I mean, stuff that just didn't make any sense in the universe too. Like Steppenwolf with his terrible, terrible voice and his terrible, terrible performance. Saying things like, you know, there's no Kryptonian. But, but how do you know what the hell a Kryptonian is? None of this makes any sense. You've been away for 5,000 years, but suddenly you come back and like, oh, there's no Superman there. How do you know who he is? Ah, you see, unlike the island of Atlantis, they do have cell service in space. <laughs> so he's able to check the internet through yeah. 4G services. And then like, so one of the biggest changes in this is kind of how they present the information and about the mother boxes and, and um, when in the film it comes in with the, the information about the backstory, about this great battle. Narrated by Gal Gadot, um, who's great. Yeah, let's give her all the dialogue. <laughs> um, but like, I wrote down the exact line they use. Said um, when they're defeated and they leave the mother boxes on Earth, right? Fading from the view of the enemy, anonymous among a trillion worlds. You're telling you this. So they don't know where these super powerful boxes are. They've somehow forgotten them on the single planet in the entire universe where they were successfully defeated, uh, fought back against. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. This, children, yes. this is a children for babies written by babies. <laughs> um, and then I've seen people praise the, the scene that introduces the Flash. Um, and I, I'm not having it because he's a creepy bastard. Uh, first of all, again, I'm not sure how these superpowers are supposed to work. The idea is that the Flash is really fast when he's running. How is he also really fast when he's standing still? How does that work? <laughs> again, again, maybe I'm overthinking it. It's been known to happen, but it, it bothers me. But there's a scene, the scene where the Flash is introduced because he, um, in the 2017 cut, it's just, it's all you get is really the, the videotapes that um, Lex Luthor had put, put together that was... Um, were obtained at the end of Batman versus Superman. And you see him, he's going for a job interview uh, and there's a car crash and he goes out and he, he saves this woman, but not before touching her up, you know, not before having a wee feel of her hair in an exceptionally creepy manner. Hmm. Like, like oh, I don't want him being my hero. Like, no, no, uh, uh. I find it makes more sense if you think of Flash... Um, as basically being Kevin from We Need to Talk About Kevin because <laughs> that's really all I can think of it. I'm not sure if I've uh, given Miller a fair shake on anything because every time I look at him I just see Kevin <laughs> when I think about Kevin well, and I'm apply not... much the same logic to him. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's weird to mention because it was in my head too because that's the only time I've seen Ernest Miller and thought he was any good. Mm. I, I think he was genuinely I think excellent. He was, 
I think he was so good in that that we now can't take him as any kind of sympathetic character because we think he's going to kill someone with an axe in about two seconds at the end of it. So, so. Him, I think he's in both the Fantastic Beasts films. I know he's in at least one of them um, playing the hmm. same character. And like, I, be, I don't remember a minute. I've never seen it, but um, but yes, yeah, uh, when he talked about Kevin, he was great, and then everything else I've seen him in, I thought he was terrible. And then, and again, this is this is really is nitpicking, but it's just it's just because of the level of dialogue you tend to get in these things, which is honking. And this is something that was in both films, so it's obviously from the Zack Snyder version when they're um, in the tunnel with the nest, like kind of midway through the film, mm. and the, they're escaping, and the the Nightcrawler, the Batman's walking tank thing, is there, and yeah. And again, this is kind of just, it's typical of these types of films, but you see Jeremy Irons at the desk going, initiating remote mode, you know, something that nobody would say. Nobody would yeah. say that. Nobody would need to say it. And the audience don't need it because they're, they're clearly aware he's not there. So he's obviously report, um, piloted remotely. It's just, it's kind of, it's just horrible hack dialogue. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, let me, let me try and find a wee positive, okay? Just so it's, it's not just me miserably um, ranting about how terrible this is for um, the rest of the night. Cyborg's definitely better in this because he's in the 2017 version he's just a miserable whining brat basically he's fleshed out a bit here um, mm-hmm. the effects look ridiculous I don't know why he looks like he looks he's now made by Swarovski I think yeah I, I agree I, I liked Cyborg in this more uh, certainly in the original one but yeah it, it just looks so bad I don't know why it looks in particular so awful yeah um, this, um, but he, he at least seems to have he's not just sullen because basically his character in the 2017 version was sullen boy he's um, been, he still gets given these things to do he takes the, the mother box and buries it in his mother's grave and uh, oh no it's there for like a day until he has to go and get it again well, that, that was worthwhile thanks for that yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's another twenty minutes to film. You could have cut out, but no, we had to have all of it. But then he's given such kind of stupid things to do, like he's suddenly talking to Batman's ship because Batman's ship talks back and it wants to fly. What? <laughs> oh, so I think superhero films in particular are, are generally cursed with rotten dialogue. Not always, but it, it seems so often. It's almost so leaden or stupid, and this film seems particularly cursed with it. And then, my biggest problem with this film is my biggest problem with the first version of it, and it's the one thing that wasn't extended, right? The single interesting thing that happens in 2017's Justice League is that Superman might be evil. It's like, what do you do when God goes bad, right? And it's resolved in about three minutes, because Superman sees Lois Lane. It's like, oh, I'm not evil anymore. Right. Mm. I always thought that was by far the most interesting idea in Justice League, and they did nothing with it. It's like so you've got this incredibly powerful being, his personality and memories being basically stripped away. He's like nature versus nurture. Is there an inherent goodness in Clark Kent, or um, can it be turned to bad? Uh, but no, it, like he fights him for a couple minutes and it's resolved. Except in this one, they've managed to not only just not extend it at all, which is the, the only interesting thing that happens in the entire film, they've actually made it worse. Because, at least in the, the 2017 one, the idea was that Batman, because like, Batman actually had a contribution in the 2017 one, as opposed to this one where he does nothing and should be in the film at all, you thought, right, Lois Lane, woman he loves, 
that might be quite useful. He brings her, calls her something stupid like the big gun or something um, to, to obscure what he's doing. But um, there's some thought there that, that this might be a useful thing to help if Superman's resurrection goes wrong. And this one, well, she just happens to be there that morning by coincidence. So they've actually made that worse. Yeah, it's... So the, the, the single interesting thing in the entire film is worse. And they've not extended that, but... No. Yeah, I, I'm going to stop now, Scott. Um, honestly. Again, they, they took one dull villain and doubled down on it um, to make two incredibly dulled villains. I can sort of understand not going too big to a degree on the whole Superman being evil thing if that seems to have been the, what the premise of the third film was more than anything else. Um, it's the whole kind of... Well, if you played the Injustice games, it's that timeline pretty much um, but with added dark side uh, to it. You get hints of that towards the end of it. Obviously, there's been dreams of that. That's the one thing that annoys me more about this than anything else is the the way that this is shaken out. It means that all those sequences are basically Batman having some bad dreams for some reason, mm-hmm. and there's there's no particularly good explanation for it. And I, I don't really care enough to um, want to have one written in. Certainly, this film was long enough without having another few minutes of clunky dialogue to explain it. But it is pretty stupid. It's basically just Batman having a bad dream and waking up. They're all cool individual scenes, and I've been throughout um, Batman versus Superman all that and I, I like most of them but yeah it's daft that they're just silly dream sequences they, that, maybe that could have been better motivated again if you had a plan from the outset you could have set this up a bit better just saying um, but yeah, the, yeah there's a whole lot of the, uh, Snyder's problems where he is he, he can ask some good questions but he doesn't seem to have been interested enough to actually answer them in any meaningful way yeah, I mean that, that those kind of dream bits particularly when they're in Batman vs Superman which again um Comfortably, my most favorite, my favorite film in the the Snyderverse, um, and I watched, I rewatched Man of Steel a couple of months ago, and actually liked that quite a bit more this time. Although I still hate basically the last half hour, or hmm. amazing being it, it feels like forever because it's big CGI monster punching big other CGI monster, but in a way that doesn't actually make sense because they should kind of rule, uh, cancel each other out, but. Um, but like there are bits in these films that are interesting, and like that, like as it, it's like a dream in Batman for Superman, but it's kind of like the catalyst for Batman thinking, "Well, Superman's potentially dangerous. I need to find a way to stop him. Should he go bad?" There are some interesting ideas in there. They just do nothing with it, and mm. then they just like they stick it a bunch of really dull stuff at the end of this film that seems to go on forever. I was like, "Oh, Lois Lane's dead, and and Robin's dead, and and the Joker's there for some reason. It's just not interesting." Snyder's essential problem is that at some point in the past he read Watchmen and liked it and keeps trying to make Watchmen again. <laughs> that worked quite well for Watchmen, but even <laughs> yes. then, as a uh, film, the film Watchmen I, I would defend as a fairly literal translation of the comic book, and it works pretty well. But the more you see of Snyder's other work, he read Watchmen and thought, Rorschach's a badass. I would like to see more of that. Whereas mm. the lesson you're supposed to take from Watchmen is that untrammeled power is a very bad thing. People shouldn't have it. Yes. And the more you watch Snyder's film, it's like people have been at various points have tried to, to talk this into Snyder. So he keeps asking the question again, like it happened in like Batman versus Superman when you know Batman, um, where Superman is forced to kill Zod, something that he would never do because of his morals. And it's like, how would you analyze that? How how should that that singular example of power being exerted over someone else affect Superman? And the answer is, 
it's fine. Don't worry about it. Power's great. I yeah. like to see things getting punched and things blowing up. And that is the essential problem with science work, is so, somehow he gets the questions in there, but his answers to them are entirely insufficient and has been repeated multiple times throughout his career, where it's like, you're, you're hinting at something quite interesting there. Do you want to take another swing at that? <laughs> no, no, you don't. You've just yeah. gone, yes, power's great. Aren't the good guys great? Let's get some more armies in. Isn't it fine when Superman executes wars abroad for other people? It's all cool. Don't worry about it. Yay, we're great. We're the good guys. Let's not think about or examine yeah. anything in this in any detail whatsoever. And it's like, no, Alan Moore's very upset with you right now. <laughs> what, what you're suggesting is that in Watchmen, basically, Zack Snyder's on Richard Nixon's side. Yes. Yes. <laughs> is you think Zack Snyder's a fascist? Because, I mean, <laughs> his films tend to suggest that, to be honest. Um, well, again, it's just back to how a power is applied. Like, there's various discussions you can find about how fascist Batman is or isn't, and I think it's a pretty ridiculous discussion at a lot of levels. Not just because there's so many different versions of Batman, and there's no particularly good answer to that. Um, mm. For every example of Batman, you could bring up where he's not using guns. There's equally there's ones in comics in the old days where he does use guns. There's one where he's actually a vampire. You know, getting into any kind of um, discussion about what a fictional character in a comic book universe actually is or isn't is an interesting um, and completely pointless discussion. But that's why the internet loves it so much because it's something you can argue about that has no clear answer. It's it's perfect for it. So yes, um, I don't know if it's exactly fascism, but I think um, Zack Snyder's worldview is such. That that um, might is right in most instances, as long as it's the side that I happen to agree with. Um, yes. I, I don't know if his works. His work might tacitly support fascism, but only in the same way that um, every Hollywood instance that has any kind of army personnel or equipment is, um, in the sense that you can't actually be um, critical about any kind of nationalistic impulse, certainly on the American side, without not having access to that stuff that you need to make your big budget Hollywood film. So <laughs> it's kind of tacitly implied that American exceptionalism is the way forward. And whether, if you think that's fascist, then I suppose Zack Snyder's work is fascist. Um, but then I would say not any more so than any other military involved outing from Hollywood. Um, but yes, what I, what I largely would identify with Zack Snyder's work is that he's not thought enough about it to have an opinion whether it's fascist or not. So, yeah. uh, And also, I mean, another big problem, and it's, it's not quite on the fascist thing, so I um, want to bring it up while I remember more than anything, but he's not thought about it. And also, why can't anybody write an interesting villain? Why is it so hard, especially in a comic book film? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's because, well, actually I do know. It's because as soon as you get above any kind of personal issue, you get straight into the the realms of, I need to threaten the entire world for some reason. And but I mean, this- it's particularly bad here, right? Thanos is an equally valid example, but he at least had some asterisks to it that made it somewhat interesting. But here Darkseid is, I am going to kill everything because... Because. Reasons. That's and, a, I'm going to kill everything if- because... And people have sort of thought, well, you want to kill everything, do you? That's a good idea. I'll sign up to that <laughs> that agenda. You don't include me in this, do you? Yeah. Oh, you do? Oh, well, still, that's cool. Let's go for it anyway. And- yeah, see, well, I was going to mention Thanos in particular because I actually think Thanos is one of the rare examples where it actually works. Um, 
Yeah, strangely uh, enough, a, it's, the, it's the one of the things that are different from the comic books. That the, the change that actually makes a lot of sense because in the comic books, he wants to kill it to impress a girl. Yes, he wants I, to I remember t- you telling me that, and I thought that's ridiculous because it's very much not in the films because maybe they realised yes. that's stupid. But um, and I think Josh Brolin goes a long way to making Thanos um, interesting and yeah. and having some sort of charisma. Whereas, uh, for instance, like Lee Pace in the Guardians of the Galaxy films, appalling. You know, he's mm. just so leaden, and the dialogue is so leaden. And I don't know if that is just the actor, just the writing, but Josh Brolin yeah. is, is so much better as Thanos. And again, the fact that they, they so successfully build that character over mm. so many films is really quite impressive. Although yeah, off the back of at least one film with equally dismal flying demon things that... Oh, yeah. The, just, so, yes. Anytime you have like faceless flying bad guys, it's a bad idea. Just don't do it. That's my hint for screen, script writers going forward. Yeah, all, all <laughs> these minions are really boring. All the battles and that are brilliant. And again, I mean, just I've, after having suddenly found a desire to watch lots of films recently, which has been missing for a year, I've gone through all of the MCU again, just finished a couple of days ago. Hmm. And enjoyed it for the most part i think it's really competently done i might have my issues but i wonder why at the end of these films they all end the same which is some sort of and the avengers films are the worst for actually avengers infinity and endgame they've got all these great um space things why is your battle happening like your armies are from the 13th century why is everything yeah. medieval it's terrible and boring <laughs> and yeah. three films in a row in the marvel films ended exactly the same way Except yeah. like only one of them had rhinos with tinfoil over their horns. <laughs> but yeah, the I mean, Thanos is, is um a torture and a murder and he's a terrible person the way he's um you know, like ripping parts of his daughter's body out and replacing them with robot bits and things. But at least the character had some charisma and like an idea like that he thought he was doing a thing for a good reason, like the whole balance thing. Yeah. Clearly the character was insane. That's actually quite interesting. Though. It made it quite compelling. But like this dark side guy is like, I'm going to kill everything because, mm-hmm. and that's that's the the whole motivation from like 99 percent of uh, these kind of villains, like because, and yeah. it's not interesting. And like so, it wasn't interesting when Steppenwolf wanted to basically do that. It's not interesting now when there were two people who wanted to basically <laughs> do that. It's yeah. it's so dull. And again, that's I think that's one of the reasons I found so little joy in this film. Like. I don't care about this villain. So therefore, I don't care about your entire plot. Nothing interesting is happening in it. Hmm. Uh, I wonder, I I might have been more invested in Darkseid. I don't, I don't necessarily hate the character. I don't think you see enough of it to really make much of a... I don't hate the Scott. I don't, more than another. But the, the, yeah, if, I understand why it's there if you were going to make the third film. But you're not going to make the third film, so why put it back in? Yeah, I mean, it, even if they made the third <laughs> film, it's not going to be interesting. I don't hate the characters. I don't anything in the character. There is no character. <laughs> Yeah, there's no motivation. It's like I'm going to kill everything. <laughs> Don't care. Um, I mean, again, like it's again another reason why it's ridiculous. Like Batman is by far the most interesting thing in um, DC comics. I still think it's an absolute mystery how Christopher Nolan was able to make the films he made without interference. I know how they, yeah. they didn't ruin his films, but but it's another yet another reason why Batman has no business been anywhere near this when like the villain is like capable something capable of destroying the entire universe whereas something I mean, these are discussions we've had before on the podcast before too but I think one of the things that was so refreshing about spider-man homecoming was like the villain was just uh, he's basically just a, a low-event criminal who became a criminal because he got stiffed over um he got mm-hmm. stiffed 
doing his government contract became his criminal. And it was kind of lower stakes, like, that's really satisfying. You can understand him, maybe a bit of sympathy for the character. And he had a character. He was a mm-hmm. person with, like, actual facets, um, as well as a good performance from Michael Keaton. But he was like, I've got a silly gruff voice. <coughs> My voice did not go gruff. Then. <laughs> but, uh, a silly gruff voice, and I'm just going to kill everything. Uh, uh, don't yeah. care. And if I don't care about the main film, therefore I don't care about the plot, and I don't care about the film, and I can care about the film, there's nothing to care about. It's not interesting. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't necessarily disagree with any of that. Particularly, the only one slight defence I would give to Batman is that Batman clearly throughout this film knows he is out of his league and that's why he's putting the team of metahumans together. He's basically acting as a resource, a human resource manager. <laughs> um, he's he's the, he's the kind of team leader that will tell you, like, you guys go out and fight and I'll just try and hide here, which is, I think, not a terrible way to use him in, in this. I, I didn't actually mind that so much, but yes, it does kind of diminish the point of it. And I would much rather have seen the kind of Batman films that are hinted at in various points in his past, like the whole, you know, where Robin died and all that kind of stuff that has been sort of laced throughout. I would have liked to have seen a Batman film with Affleck doing it. Yeah. And I, I I don't know if Pattinson will be any good at all. I've actually liked a lot of Pattinson's work recently, so I'm not going to write that off. Maybe it'll be right. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen a proper Batman film with Affleck. I think yeah. he would have done a good job. But yes, um, this is not the not the um, the arena for Batman. It's like in some of the Marvel um comics where um, something of a supernatural scale is, is happening and it would kind of cut down to having um, like Spider-Man and Daredevil just having sitting talking on a rooftop watching <laughs> it because they know like this is this is a cosmic battle beyond our scale we would just try and you know, keep peace on the streets which is what <laughs> Batman's role should be during an actual conflict of this instance but yeah, he is I've Batman got, so that is a superpower. <laughs> I've got a lot of a lot of hope for the Robert Pattinson because again I like Robert Pattinson as well so, you know a lot of things recently I've really liked him and um, managed to put the, the spectre of the one Twilight film I unfortunately saw behind me <laughs> but yeah I would, like, we should have seen a Batman film but it was because Warner Brothers were just in such a rush it's like well, we've yeah. seen what, uh, what Warner Brothers want we want that too and if you look at in terms of the number of films it wasn't there aren't actually that many in terms of number more that Warner Brothers got before they got to the first Avengers film, but it just felt mm. so different. Like they'd actually given those characters time to breathe. Whereas here, nothing. It just they just rushed. They never so you never got the chance to see Ben Affleck be Matt Man. I think he could have been really good. Mm. But again, we'll never know. Um and then so yeah, that's uh I said a couple of months ago when I talked about Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four that I thought in the modern comic book film year I had found the new zero point, the new reference zero. Mm. Yeah, that only lasted two months because now it's Zack Snyder's um, Justice League. <laughs> it's the worst thing I've seen in this sphere in well, since like, well, what's Iron Man 2007, since like the new era of comic book films. Yeah. This is the low point. I, I dislike this film that much. Um, <laughs> and... One of the reasons for that, I think, is frustration because I think there might well have been something interesting here. And certainly it could have been a lot more enjoyable if if they'd built up the characters a bit more if the Aquaman film had come before this. Although I I also don't like the Aquaman film quite a lot. Um, And because Wonder Woman was great. Yeah. Um, And 
but then so this it went from Wonder Woman to Justice or Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, Manchester, then Justice League. Ugh, they just rushed. They just I think the biggest problems with all of this is just Warner Brothers themselves. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Certainly can't argue with that. Um, they're, they've evidenced that themselves an awful lot over the past uh, well, decade by this point. Um, since Nolan left, I think they've been rudderless. And yeah, I again, wasted potential is, is very much the watchword. Um, this is, as I mentioned, this is not a replacement for the, the theatrical film what was released and that um, I think if Snyder had had his druthers all the way throughout and if it was not uh, uh, reshot then that theatrical film could have been made a lot better I think there's enough evidence here that he could have made a better theatrical cut of his own film Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah this particular instance of Justice League is something that is so hyper specifically focused towards people who already like this kind of thing that it's certainly going to repel anyone who's even remotely on the fence about it so yeah certainly i'm not recommending this to any kind of general audience and i at the minute it's very hard to recommend putting any kind of any kind of stock in anything that dc is going to be doing with their films from now on they really need to have a bit of a think about what's going on and try and just get their house in order and work out what on earth they're trying to play at with with everything and just just get a plan together and I do wonder how you fix that though. I'm just thinking though, because it's definitely not just a studio thing because the same studio that seemed to get the Marvel films so right completely ruined Star Wars. Um, well, it, it, it is getting someone in charge that knows what they're doing. Have one person who you yeah. commit to being the right one. They thought clearly I'd Warner. Not be J.J. Abrams. Yes, Warner thought it would be Snyder. Clearly they've changed their mind. What they should have done at some point after Batman versus Superman is said, Thanks, Zach. It's not working out. We'll see you later. And handed it over to someone else. Yeah. Whether that was Joss Whedon, whether that was someone else, whether that was just some... I mean, actually, probably directors are not the people you should be talking to. No, right. It should be someone who's more of a studio exec, but you a studio to, exec that you need knows what they're own, talking about. You need to find your own Kevin Feige, because he's the, he did such a fantastic job with the Marvel films. Again, there are mm. missteps. I mean, nobody's flawless, but... That's remarkably cohesive for the their vast number of films that are in it, and mm. um, and also had time to allow different types of films and things and different tones to them. And but yeah, under the auspices of Disney, that same company destroyed Star Wars. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, trying to find the right person is clearly not an easy thing. I don't know how yeah. um, Disney and Marvel actually found. Kevin Feige, I'll need to look into the story of that at some point, but they need someone like that because yeah. otherwise it's just going to be mess after mess after mess and reboot after reboot after reboot and like it's, it's, it's either interesting. that or simply just don't have an extended universe which is probably what they should do for a while they should just let them all split off do their own things and come back together at some point if they can come up with a piece of plan but if I mean, I thought that's where they were going because Joker is very much a film that, um, for its flaws and somewhat overratedness, it is a little film that exists in its own little bubble and does not seem to tie into anything else that's going on around it. And that's no, fine. That's, that's completely separate entity. It's, it's yeah. I mean, Batman's only in it kind of by name. And it's, uh, yeah. So it's not, it's not of that thing at all. But that was... like. Yeah, and I'd actually entirely forgotten Joker existed until you mentioned it, Scott. When you mentioned earlier on this, uh, this evening about yes. there being three different jokes, I'd kinda, I kind of wasn't sure. I thought you were thinking, uh, uh, I can't speak. 
wasn't sure what you're talking about. Of course, you mean the the Joaquin Phoenix one, which I'd totally forgotten about. But it's like, yeah, that's a self-contained thing. But I, think, I just not don't think Warner Brothers are capable of keeping it low key like that. No, um, that, for what it's worth, that is my solution to the whole DC extended universe Gordian knot is to simply cut it apart <laughs> and just don't have an extended universe. Just have individual DC films for a while and see how it's going. And you know, things like I, I don't know how clearly. Black Adam's going to tie into any of this. Certainly, stuff like Shazam does not tie into it at all. Neither does Joker. So, yeah, but Shazam's great. So, yeah, just uh, that, that would perhaps be the best thing. Just find people who want to get deeply involved with one specific bit of IP, if you will. Let them run with it for a bit and see what comes out of it. And that's probably as good as you can do at this point because I don't think anyone else has got faith that you could deliver anything else. Um, yeah, especially um, I assume that. The the Suicide Squad films, the Harley Quinn films, are entirely separate now because they, they bear no relation to the rest of them at all. And the new James Gunn film looks amazing. Yes. Really <laughs> stupid and ridiculous, and therefore amazing. It looks, Just it looks what like, the concept should have been from the outset, yes. yes it like, <laughs> looks like this film is going to be fun. And that is <laughs> something that's been sorely lacking from these films. Fun. Nobody's having any fun. There's no joy in these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, a total Snyder move. <laughs> I think we've probably dissected this to the point of exhaustion. I can't think of anything else I'd particularly care to talk about in the uh, this or the wider Snyder wider Snyder verses or anything else that's uh, grinding your gears from days gone by. Shall we go back and talk about how bad the first Suicide Squad film was for a while? Again, largely for featuring a bunch of faceless minions. Um, um, can, can we not? Yes, let's go. Um, th- th- there's only one thing about Suicide Squad I really like, and we talked about that all fair. I'm not bringing it up again now. Uh, yes. <laughs> it wouldn't pay me the best thing, probably. Uh, a thing that came up watching this, but uh, not not to do with this, but I'm wondering, um, it was bad enough in the 1980s when you saw actors had no idea what to do with computers. How can that still be a thing when it's in everybody's life all the time? The guy that's um, Cyborg's dad, the actor's name is it. Joe Porter, something like that. Oh, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. No. Miles Ben um, Dyson guy yeah. from T2, anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. He's basically just slapping at keyboards like a seal. <laughs> <laughs> how. It, it always bothered me when you see it in the past, because like, that's not how computers work. And computers have now been represented recently in um, film, but when people are so used to them now, but him, mm. it's like, I'm just going to slap at this keyboard thing, and like, that's just terrible acting. I'd also. One final FU to um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. That terrible rendition of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah over the end credits. No. Yes, no. I th- I think there very much needs to be uh, some sort of moratorium on Hallelujah for any purpose whatsoever. It is almost as played out as Ride of the Valkyries. It's, it's on the same tier level of stuff that just should be avoided yeah. because... They're a bit too obvious. Yeah, I really like the original version, and I actually really like the Rufus Wainwright version. It's on the Shrek soundtrack, although really not. It's the same one as in the Shrek film, but uh, <laughs> I, I really like that. But yeah, it's so played it. And also, wasn't the Leonard Cohen version of Hallelujah in Watchmen? It's the same. Yeah, um, I think it was. Yeah. The same uh, director reusing the song, but this time was an appalling cover version of it. Hmm. Oh no. <laughs> No, naughty, naughty sack, no. 
So, Zack Snyder's Justice League, 10 out of 10, must watch. Uh, thank you all very much for your attention. If you would like to discuss um, how great Zack Snyder's Justice League is, then please do so do, uh, on the emails at podcast at Film, through your Twitters at twitter.com slash fudsonfilm, or even facebook.com slash fudsonfilm, whatever your poison may be. Um, we'll be back with you soon, no doubt, for another bit of film-related chat. But until then, take care of yourself and each other. Goodbye. Fairly well.